Paleo Runner Podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audio download at audibletrial.com slash paleorunner. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Lately, I've been listening to Jared Diamond's latest book, The World Until Yesterday, What We Can Learn from Traditional Societies. One of the great perks of signing up for Audible is that if you don't like a book, you can actually return it for a different one. Go to paleorunner.org and click on Audible at the top of the page. Paleo Runner Podcast is a podcast devoted to finding better ways to live, run, train, and eat. I'm your host, Aaron Olson. You can find more information by going to paleorunner.org. You'll also find me on facebook.com slash runpaleo and on Twitter at runpaleo. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click on ratings and reviews. You can also email feedback to Aaron at paleorunner.org. My guest today is Brian McKenzie. Brian is the creator of CrossFit Endurance, a type of endurance training that focuses on eliminating unnecessary volume and training while increasing intensity. His CrossFit Endurance was featured in January's Outside Magazine as a controversial new approach to marathon training. Brian's latest book is called Power, Speed, Endurance, a skill-based approach to endurance training. Brian, thanks so much for being part of this show. I'm really excited to be talking to you. Aaron, thanks for having me, buddy. So, to get started, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you got interested in running? Oh, wow. I was training at a spinning gym, and I was doing spinning classes, and this was like 1999-2000, and uh, there were actually running classes that were going on there as well on treadmills, and, and, the, and the running classes were run the exact same way a spinning class we were to the beat of the music. And I somehow got roped in doing a class there, and then I got uh, a buddy of mine who was just some crazy lunatic Iron Manner at the time, uh, who was not a buddy at the time, uh, convinced me to do a triathlon because he knew I had a swimming background and I could ride the bike, and mm-hmm. it just went on and on. And so I, um, I, I inevitably ended up signing up for a, for a triathlon, for a triathlon via my uh, maniac run, and um, that was essentially my intro into running. Um, and I probably did that. I trained for the, for that for probably six months or something. And then um, I was introduced to Dr. Nicholas Romanoff right about that same time in 2000, 2001. And uh, it, it was even, it was just, it was right after training for this uh, sprint, doing this sprint triathlon. And uh, so that, then I was quickly introduced to running mechanics and that was when everything kind of changed. Okay. So what, what is your approach to training and how is it different than a traditional approach. Um, well, now I think the the, uh, the biggest difference that we that we have with what we do is the fact we look at running as a skill. Um, no, there are not a whole lot of programs that prior to us were really doing that. Other than Romanoff, who's always looked at running as a skill, uh, but um, there really were not any programs that we that I was aware of that actually ever looked at running as a skill. Now, if you look at the elite level, yes, elite level athletes are always looking at running or something as a skill, but not to a large degree. In fact, most a lot of elite level runners don't don't even address it that much. We just saw a, a definite problem with that, and the fact that at the time I believe it was around even in 2005, ACSM was reporting that 80 percent of all 85 percent of all runners were injured every year. Um, that's down to about 79 percent, I think, in the last reporting we've seen. Um, but and, and that's not just to our work or you know just Romanoff work, but that's large in, in a large part to global effort and everybody and things like wanting to run. 
teams are coming out. And um, I, I think we've seen a, a small decline in that. But that was the, the major difference in our program versus any other program. The fact that we apply skill training to running or cycling or swimming. Uh, swimming largely has had skill training applied to it uh, from the from its inception uh, because most people don't swim well and they recognize that. But what people fail to think is that they don't run well, um, and that's now I, I think a uh, part of this paradigm is where this shift is occurring and we're seeing people really recognize the fact they don't run well um, and that, that's the primary difference. The secondary difference is the fact that we actually have a, a legitimate strength and conditioning program attached to an endurance program when no other program that I was aware of at the time was really using any strength and conditioning, um, albeit Romanoff also utilizes strength and conditioning programs. Um, you know, we, uh, we were the first of our kind that I knew of. Mm-hmm. So those were the major the major differences. Most people want to look at what we do as a low volume program, which is actually an incorrect assumption. The fact is, is most people, you know, and I was just listening to a podcast with Roll and Chris McCormick, and it, one of, one of the things that came up was Chris was talking about how all these amateur athletes literally are trying to trying to put in a time that professional athletes put in on, on for training for triathlon, and runners do the same thing, and they've done it for many years, where they've tried to do high mileage programs and live normal lives, and that's just really not unless you're genetically a freak something that's going to happen, something that's going to work out real well. Um, mm-hmm. So what we saw was what we do essentially is we take out a lot of the unnecessary and, and give a lot of the um, quality work that would come with something for somebody like that. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, you wouldn't lower the volume for a fed and elite level athlete, but the fact is, is it's uh, the, the difference that people see when we're getting to people and why it works so well because we're, we're actually attacking recovery as much as we're attacking training and I've never seen I never knew of any program that was actually doing that for the masses ever uh, mm-hmm. now if you were to take an elite level athlete you're looking at a completely different beast and you're looking at somebody who actually has a hired coach and coaches looking at what they're doing versus what a general program or like something that the masses would be following just trying to ramp up mileage uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of a you know it's just it's something that has not really panned out real well for the po- you know the population growth and by that, we've seen numbers not only in marathon marathon times drop by like oh, the average marathon time drop by over an hour, meaning it's like like around four thirty now. Which you know, like a decade ago, it was like around a decade or twenty years ago, it was like three thirty. Now mm. we're all, we also saw the injury rates continue to rise through that as well. Um, and you know, the, these are we're only lead led to speculate on a lot of it, but we do have studies which I don't tend to like to look at. But we saw. The major problem we saw with our athletes was the same thing that we thought we were seeing and what we thought we, thought we were seeing at the, at the mass level. And that's why we never really created what we created. So that's kind okay. of in a nutshell. So you've used this type of training for yourself. And can you talk a little bit about how it's helped you? I mean, you've done some serious ultra-endurance activities, 100-milers and, and marathons and stuff like that. How have you used this to to in, improve your, your own uh, abilities? Um, I, I mean, I, I, I got into the ultra world for probably three or four years, and um, I'm, I don't know, I mean, I probably did 30 years so ultra marathons, uh, and uh, two of the ones that I, you know, was really, that I really used to train the way we're training now <laughs> were very similar, was Western State and was the Angeles Crest 100. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, An- Angeles Crest was literally, was the one that really opened my eyes to everything, it was probably the biggest thing, the biggest 
change that we had saw within what we were doing and the ability to still perform as well as, if not better, um, following this model versus following a more long, a traditional long slow distance model. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if, as you, if you're training for a hundred miler, what, what was your longest long run leading up to that? Um, well, minus time was around a half marathon. Um, it was actually, it was, uh, I think that my toughest run was four or five K repeats up in the mountains. Um, oh. but that's not to say, you know, people like hearing stuff like that. I don't think that that's a fair, yeah, I don't really like going down that road with that because that doesn't mean that that's the one that somebody needs to take because there's lots of people who aren't even going to be able to handle a high, high intensity half marathon trail run, you know, mm-hmm. um, like you know, people just don't understand that stuff. They think that it's just because, you know, I went out or somebody else went out and ran 15 miles or 13 miles that they should be doing and that's not what they should be doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, or doing just four or five K repeats. You know, that was something I worked up to and, you know, working up to four or five K repeats and actually like having, you know, I mean, I, I had been racing in ultras for three or four years, so I had an incredibly large aerobic base, um, you know, and I had been in the triathlon world for quite a while before that, you know, and the ability to do what I was doing was because of a lot of that, and that's what people don't understand. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's attributed to all that, and, and, you know, there's obviously... You know, we can only create a program for in the best way we can for a mass group, uh, assuming that people are, you know, sticking to principles, sticking to un- understanding scalability, all that stuff. And we've done our best to work that out with a website. Okay. So a big part of your training for, ta- for your average runner who comes to you involves something called CrossFit. Can you give the listeners a little bit of, yes. of an idea of what that is and how it relates to endurance activities? A simple answer to CrossFit is constant very functional movement at high intensity. Um, the complex answer to that is, you know, most people come to CrossFit and they don't know why they're in CrossFit, but they love CrossFit because of the intensity and it changes their fitness level. Um, and everybody will go through that who comes to CrossFit because um, most people don't have never been through that tense program, especially utilizing strength and conditioning stuff and doing it with high intensity. And a lot of people are afraid of that and I get it. But, you know, it, it largely comes down to, again, the skill of something and your ability to understand understand movement and not move in a movement of a manner. But that also leads us to the fact that if you're in a program that literally is is looking at all functional movement and you, the way you move in those functional movement patterns, you can address many, many, many different issues that you would see versus just seeing running or logging miles. And that, I think, is the beauty of CrossFit and where it comes in. Um, and it doesn't all have, and it's not all high intensity. And, and you know, um, it, the fact that we can, we, we can look at weakness in an athlete in something, you know, maybe they can't go overhead with a, with, with a barbell or do an overhead squat or even press overhead correctly or, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. You name it, if we find something we can't do there's a reason why they're not moving in that manner and that will be showing up in what it is they're doing sport-wise at some point that's mm-hmm. gonna make it apparent and we can catch that stuff earlier and we can catch it better and we can make the athlete a little bit more i guess bulletproof you could say mm-hmm. you know one of the things that really attracted me to your approach was I, I first found your site about three years ago when i was injured and i was like i've got to find a better way to train so i can't stop getting these you know injuries and and i saw your site and it was like you can train it talking about training on less volume but it achieving the same results. That was really fascinating to me. So can you talk, have you had some success stories where people have been running maybe for a few years and then come to you and added things like CrossFit to their training and, and improved? Uh, that, 
I mean, well, that in itself uh, never gets old. I, I love hearing that. Uh, but their stories are endless. I mean, they're uh, I mean, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that had that effect. Um, and, and again, I think this really leads back to the fact that we're doing a lot more quality work, but in that we're doing quality work, we're, we're, we're getting you to understand recovery, even though you may not even be looking at it like that. Like, everybody's looking at this as kind of like a low-volume thing, mm-hmm. where it's just actually a high recovery thing. Like, okay. you're getting the recovery you should have, because most people don't live like professional athletes. And, I, and I'm around professional athletes, like, every day. Fuck, I live with a professional athlete, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact is, is nobody, you, unless you, like, your job is to work out, you don't, you're not going to do well. You're not going to do as good as you can following what some elite-level athlete is doing. It's just mm-hmm. a fact. Because the fact is, an elite-level athlete is going to come home and go to sleep after they've trained and after they've eaten. And then they're going to wake back up and they're going to go work out again. And then mm-hmm. they're going to come back and they're going to look again. And they're going to repeat that cycle two or three times, if not four times a day. Mm-hmm. And you and I, don't really, and most people, don't have that ability to go and do that. We need to earn a living, work, uh, inspire people to do other things, you know, and, and we don't have that luxury of getting the, the proper recovery that is needed for something like that. So when you take something and you actually lower the volume of it, apply more quality training to it, get the athlete a little stronger, right? Mm-hmm. Then you have, and you, you have a lot more time for that rest. Then you're finding real answers thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how, what, what's your response to a lot of runners who say, you know, I don't go in the gym because I don't want to gain weight. What do you say to that? Uh, that's, just, that's just a myth. You know, people, people, and, and, and although people might put on five or 10 pounds, uh-huh. that's five or 10 pounds of weight that most people would put on is going to be something that is going to help them metabol- not only metabolically, but you're looking, I mean, it plus, it's, I mean, for most people who they're worried about putting on weight, if you're running at a higher level than most people, you can't, it's, it's really hard to put on weight when you're, mm-hmm. when you're doing all training. And the fact is, it comes down to diet. And we're not talking about building, and although we're utilizing strength and conditioning, we're not talking about building bodybuilders, even though there was some weird article that came out on us that was about bulking up and running marathon. Mm. That, 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 it's not the truth. I, I've literally, between, I think, we started doing this, I showed up to Western States and I had just been doing some strength and conditioning, which barely added any weight to me. I think I was at 179 pounds. When mm-hmm. I went a year later, I had been crossfitting for, for more than a year at this point and running. I showed up at 184 pounds, 183 pounds. Mm-hmm. It, it, there just is not, and, I, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy, for one, so uh-huh. I have higher testosterone than women. You know, and, uh, you know, it, it's people, I, I think, fall into these generalizations that they're going to bulk up or they're, you know, they're going to put on too much mass. The fact is, is, you know what, skinny ain't cute, that one thing. But <laughs> putting on, you know, I mean, people have this whole misconception of what body image should be, and that whole skinny thing is not, is not only not cute, it ain't healthy either. Uh-huh. Um, having a little bit of muscle on you is going to aid you not only metabolically, but going to help you in the long run. Because if you're, if, if you're five minutes fast and you're five minutes heavier, or in your five pounds heavier, uh-huh. what's the problem? Right, right. So if, so, if you get faster and yet you put on a little bit of weight, what's the problem? Right. So it is... So I think is it all, oh, go ahead. No, I, I think it really all comes to um, that understanding of what are your goals and why? 
<laughs> mm-hmm. And if you have some sort of aversion to putting on weight, you probably need to go see somebody about that. And talk <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm not joking. I mean, I've literally sat there and dealt with, I can't even, I mean, I've been coaching for over a decade. I've been working with clients, athletes, people in general, Mm -hmm. and the people who are putting on weight usually have eating, mild eating disorders. Okay. There are things that are going on there. Mm -hmm. It's a real thing, you know, and it's as real as people who just can't take a day off from training. Right. So, you know, you mentioned uh, a lot of the benefits of CrossFit there. Is, Is that something that, to do your program, that people would need to do? Or can they adapt it to the weights that they have at home or maybe body weight exercises? Do they need to do deadlifts and all that? Uh, I, I mean, CrossFit is going to involve some deadlifts. It is going to involve the, the constant variance of CrossFit and the ability to be doing a lot of different things all the time. Um, you know, the constant variance thing yeah. is very important. Um, if you have the ability to have a home gym and understand movement well enough to be working at home and not have eyes on you, great. I don't know too many athletes that are that way. In fact, I coach, I don't know, uh, half a dozen to a dozen elite level athletes and mm-hmm. all of them send me video and they come into town or I go to, into town for them to look at them move. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the fact people need coaching and I think that's one of the problems. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you can get it done yourself, um, you know, and if, if you're showing up with injuries, if, you, if, if things are going wrong, you need somebody looking at you and that's just what it is. And, and the fact that this is a high intensity program and it was developed and most people don't have the general understanding of how to move correctly, I think they really need a coach. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean you can't stay at home and do it at home. You know, guys like Dean Parnassus, they it all done all the time, and uh, they don't have a whole lot of coaching going on. Right. So you mentioned injuries there. Is this a program that will help you avoid injuries? Some people say, you know, stay away from high intensity because you're going to get injured. Is that a, is that true? Well, long, long, long slow distance has shown that it uh, injures people as well. So, you know, high volume, uh, I, I, have, I have a saying. It's intensity, load, or volume are going to expose the weakness in movement. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's intensity. It doesn't matter if you throw a barbell on your back. And it doesn't matter if you go run really long. If you move like crap, it's going to get exposed at some point, And you're going to suffer the consequences of that. That's nature's. That, that, that's the principle of nature. Nature will always let you know about that. It's called pain. And it's called an injury. And that means you're doing something wrong. And, and anybody who... who I, I don't blame uh, long, slow distance for injury any athlete, okay? I don't, right. bl- I, I don't blame high-volume programs for injuring athletes. I don't blame low-volume programs. I don't blame high-intensity programs. I blame the individual who moves poorly. Mm-hmm. It comes down to a personal responsibility thing and your ability to understand movement, and that's where we really differ from a lot of programs. And it's when people just don't take, take the time to look at something like that that they just toss it out the door and they don't want to do any real work. And I understand that. I understand wanting to just go get your sweat on, wanting to just sweat, you know, breathe hard. But unfortunately for me, because, you know, since I met people early on in my career, uh, that kind of screwed everything up for me. There's no time I don't work out where I am not thinking about what it is I'm doing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, we all, we've all had an injury. We've all suffered consequences of these things. But the fact is it comes down to poor movement. And one of those variables, load, intensity, or volume will expose the poor movement. Okay. 
You know, an- another topic that's been uh, that I'd like to talk about is nutrition. What is your approach to nutrition and feeling for these endurance activities? Uh, I, I mean, I guess you could call me a paleo guy. Uh, I, I'm more along the line. I, I, I really think that I, I, I mean, this doesn't take anything away from anybody because I, I'm friends with a lot of the guys who are originally part of this whole movement. Um, I, I ultimately think the paleo thing, the word, it'll kind of die out some degree. But I think it's more of a pr- principle-based eating um, on the fact that, you know, you're eating a lot of vegetable matter, you know, very little fruit, very little starch, very little, no sugar, nothing processed. I think high-quality meat, grass-fed meats, if you can get them, um, are, are a must. Um, make that important, if not hunting your own meat. Um, you know, being as self-sustainable as possible, I mean, that's kind of what I'm striving for. Um, I, I, but I also believe that, that your diet needs to be as diverse as possible. Like one of the things I'm seeing a lot with and talking a lot with people with uh, wellness at that and what we're seeing with uh, blood work is that the more diverse the diet is, meaning you're not just eating the same things every day, you know, mm-hmm. day in, day out, whether that be broccoli and, and spinach and, and chard every single day with grass-fed, you know, steak every day. You know, you've got to change that stuff up. You've got to get your body calling to draw nutrients and other things. Supplementing as little as possible, you know, it, it, ne- it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how quickly people just fucking want to take something because somebody else is taking it or try something new because somebody else is doing it. I, I, mean, I understand trying something new and trying the new, new, new diets and things like that because I think people should experiment. But I honestly, people have no idea what it is. It just shows me their cards when they're just taking something to take it. You know, they just don't, they're just really not that in tune with everything going on. And, and the fact that people just take supplements to take them baffles me, you know, and it just shows me you've really never had your work done. You've never really looked at your blood. You've really, really never had things like that done. The more organic and the more more natural you can make your diet, and I mean, honestly, the more vegetable matter you can get into that, uh, the better, um, along with high-quality proteins, you know, grass-fed meats and things. Yeah, you know, I heard you on uh, Rich Rose podcast a few weeks ago, and there was a discussion there on fat, and I know some endurance athletes have been feeling with fat rather than carbohydrates. Have you have you had yeah. any experience with that? Yes. Well, I actually created a, we created a product uh, because I was just so tired of the, the crap that we were putting in and you know, the fact that you had to constantly fuel, um, if you were taking in something that was high glycemic carb, you had to, it was just a constant rotation cycle that you had to be on. And the data, the data points we were seeing within, uh, our work with Wellness FX and, and the research, uh, TJ Murphy's been doing, um, and what we're seeing with a lot of these athletes who think there's this hall path that you're going to have to suck down lots of sugar and lots of, uh, carbohydrate in order to survive in these, in these, um, these events or, or the training. And it's not, it, it, that, I don't think you're going to need carbohydrate because I'm not saying to get rid of all the carbohydrate. But what I am saying is, is that there's a different way to, to approach things. I don't know that everybody's really taken that, taken, tested a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, we went the no carb route and found out uh, pretty quickly that you couldn't really do anything without carbs. Um, out past like about about three hour three hour mark or multiple workouts in a day, uh, you just ended up taking. And, and there were people who were telling me that was going to happen, and uh, but I needed to go out and figure it out for myself. And so we were doing protein and fats, medium chain fats, and that didn't really work out. And so we started experimenting with things and we, I, you know, I literally became a laboratory and I've always been a laboratory and testing things. And so we started, we got some baby coat, we got baby coconut milk. Um, we were using high, high quality grass fed protein and then we found this resistant starch called, uh, called a hydroxycocal starch, And it's a, it's a resistant starch made from waxy maize and all that. So it might sound scary. It actually has no side effect um, from being from corn. 
form. Um, it actually acts like a, a, a carb. The carb actually acts like a, a um, uh, fiber. And okay. sorry, and, and it literally it takes two to three hours to start taking glucose. At which point, the median chain fats and protein have, have really run their course. But it's literally an an an, an end all fuel. And we found that once we started playing with this stuff, that we finally tuned it in right to where it's like a 20, 20, uh, uh, 40 combination of uh, protein, carb, and fat. And literally, it's a, we never run out of fuel. And we put athletes on it who don't even eat really that clean, and we can stabilize blood sugar um, pretty quickly with it, which is an amazing thing. Um, and it just tells, it, it, the body's just burning, burning fat. So is that something so you I, can put I, in your water bottle? Yeah, you put it into your, you dump, it's a powder, and you dump it into the water bottle it's called three fuel okay um, and, and the website three fu three l.com um okay. and so the e is replaced with three but it, you you can still get away with just using uh medium chain fat if you wanted and some protein if you're under things like two to three hours um mm. you're not going to see energy you're not going to see energy plummeting uh, but if you're doing things that are out past that or you're doing multiple workouts i do not think it's a, it's a very good recipe um to be yanking carbs this carb literally helps resynthesize everything and get everything regenerated when you're going that long. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, some of the people listening to this might might be thinking, you know, what is it about endurance activities that that really gets you going? What 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 is the meaning to them? What have you found doing endurance runs that keeps bringing you back? Um, I, I think the suffering really. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I ultimately think that everything comes down to suffering. A lot of you know, some people would probably disagree with that, but um, the ability to go out and find out exactly who you are, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and just what what's going on with you that day, and you know, you can figure that out within a short little cross at workout as well. But I think the endurance thing actually really, really, really pushes that further. Um, you know, there, there, I loved ultra running because it was just I would go through so many ups and downs and challenge myself and be in the middle of nowhere and not have any other choice but to move forward and just kind of have conversations with myself and get through all that negative activity going on in your head and um, you know and, and sometimes it was just all positive activity but you know a lot of times it was a lot of negative and you just really was kind of soul cleansing um, you know I've experienced as much on a 100 mile run as I had on any any kind of drug or any kind of little other spiritual ascent that I've did I and uh, that was kind of what resonated with me. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we're coming up on time. What are uh, one or two things that runners listening to this could do? Maybe they don't have access to a CrossFit gym. Do you have any tips for them about different ways they can run or something they could add to maybe run a little bit faster? Do you, Is there anything like that that they can incorporate into their running? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of drills I mean, and things that we put out on the internet that are free. I, I would just putting in skill work and drill work and, and tempo cadence work um, will change everything. Um, uh, it, it will change everything about your running. You know, there. If you go look at guys like Usain Bolt and how they train, and it, it's so there's so much skill work involved with what they do, and then doing repeated efforts of intensity, and and, and it just. I mean, here's a guy who runs the best we've ever seen anybody really ever run, and it really comes down to the fact a lot of these guys are doing things like that. And I know people are like, well, yeah, he's a sprinter. There's really no difference mechanically in what he does versus what 
you should be doing. Now, mm-hmm. the, the, the what changes is how fast you're going and the height of your pole. And with that said, there's no real difference in mechanically what we're talking about. And the fact that people have thought there's such a difference between that is the reason why we're so far off. And you should be applying skill training to before you go do any run. And most people I talk to um, are doing very little of that. Like, they might do 10, 5, 10 minutes of it. And I'm like, no, no, no. You need to be doing probably 20 to 45 minutes of skill and drill work prior to doing any run, whether that be some long run or that whether that be a track workout. And that's where people are missing concept of what, uh, you know, really what we do and how it works. Okay. Well, Brian, it's been great having you on the show. You know, you gave us so much to think about. So thanks for so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You got it, man. Take care. Bye, man. You've been listening to another episode of Paleo Runner Podcast. For more information, you can go to paleorunner.org. You'll also find me on facebook.com slash runpaleo and on Twitter at runpaleo. If you enjoy the show, please go to iTunes and leave a review. Search for Paleo Runner in iTunes and click on ratings and reviews. You can email feedback to aaron at paleorunner.org.